Hello again, and welcome to the Red Dwarf intro cast, where we talk about uh, Red Dwarf, or Starbug, and sometimes Red Dwarf, <laughs> uh, episode by episode. Longtime fans and newbies alike journey together into the farthest, deepest, darkest regions of space. Uh, and sometimes through time. Whoa. Okay. Um, my name is Heath. I'm Angela. I'm Shane. And we have two guests this week. <laughs> uh, ladies first, I guess. Uh, I'm Paul. No. I'm Paul. <laughs> Hello. Oh no. <laughs> We've had a dimension jump. I'm Rosie. Hi, Rosie. Hello. Hi. And I'm Paul too, and so is my wife. <laughs> oh no. I, Hello, Ian. I'm Ian. That's it. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we have two guests this week. Uh, Paul, sadly, was unable to make it. He is uh, helping a, fi- a sick family member, so uh, best best wishes there. Um, hope he will be back soon. Uh, we're going to keep checking in with him. So this week, we have Ian and Rosie to help us talk about Season 6, Episode 6, Out of Time. Or Space. Bum, bum, bum. No, okay, just time. Um... <laughs> So before we get uh, Shane to tell us what Out of Time is all about, um, Rosie and Ian, do you want to remind, I think you've both been on before, Mm -hmm. but do you want to uh, remind listeners uh, who you are? Yeah, Rosie. Ian, go first. Okay. Uh, I am Ian. (laughs) I'm a member of the Ganymede and Titan team, uh, which you can find at www.ganymede.tv for all your news, reviews, interviews, and podcasts. Uh, I also do comedy, uh, started doing stand-up recently, and I'm returning to TV soon on Big Brother's Bit on the Side, and I'm also uh, currently soon to be appearing in a sitcom with Robert Llewellyn. What? 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 Really? Yeah, really. It's called A Brief History of Time Travel. Uh, we had rehearsals for it today, actually, and um, it's written by Seb Patrick, who writes reddwarf.co.uk. And uh, Robert Llewellyn is the special celebrity guest star, and I'm wow. and I'm just wow. I, I'm in uh, yeah I'm in five of the six episodes. Cool. Well, we have just upgraded then to Kevin Bacon Link One <laughs> yeah. to Red Dwarf. There we go. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, and Rosie. Um. Well, I didn't have much of an internet profile before I appeared on your show. I was so frightened that I decided that I could either go ahead and completely give up on being on podcasts or dive in feet first and create my own. And that's what I did. (laughs) So So now um, I'm just editing Aboard the Night Best episode three, which is thanks to you guys, really, I suppose. Yay! (laughs) And Angela's going to be on next week. Yes, I am. Yay! I I picked (laughs) the best chapter in book one because I'm greedy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that'll be great. 
So well, we thank are you so much. super glad to have you on again. And also, uh, we have to, uh, now that you're on here, we can just properly thank you. Rosie has been volunteer editing for us as Shane is uh, dealing with taking over the British government. And I am trying to <laughs> graduate. Uh, and so you probably would not be getting episodes nearly as promptly or as often without Rosie's invaluable help. So thank you, Rosie, for that. Well, I'm glad to help, and then it, it just means that I can ask questions whenever I like, <laughs> technical-wise. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's taking, jump right sorry, in. Sorry, I'm taking over the British government. Um, yeah. If we oh. if we ever get me as Prime Minister, I'm emigrating. <laughs> <laughs> oh... Uh, let's see. Um, so, uh, you're Shane going to tell us what this out of time thing is all about? Of course. Starbuck makes his way through an unreality unre bubble minefield to find a derelict ship capable of time travel. They strip out the time drive, install it on Starbuck, and temporarily enjoy deep space in the 15th century before returning to the present, where they encounter their future selves. Quite that those their future selves are on board so they can copy some components of the time drive to fix their own. In their future incarnations, Rimmer is fat, Cat is building, Crichton is wearing a toupee, and Lister is a brain in a the jar. They tell. They tell tales of travelling through time to sample the best food and wine and meet some of the most notorious figures in history. <laughs> the present crew of Starbuck are horrified and refuse to help them and shoot at them. The future more than Starbuck fires back, killing Lister and the cat, knocking out Crichton, and it means the only person left to save them is Rimmer. Indeed. Which doesn't turn we... out as disastrous as you would think it would. We end on a cliff. Well, we don't know. It ends on a cliffhanger. Maybe he he destroyed everything. We don't know. So four uh, years is it. what I'm hearing, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> four long, that painful would be years. Awful. Mm. Like okay. You know, over <laughs> yeah, over here we complained uh, with uh, with Star Trek TNG. With the best of both worlds, summer cliffhanger. Like ah, Picard's time. a Borg. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I don't know, now I'm sort of experiencing that with Sherlock. Mm. Darn those UK shows with their long hiatuses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but before we go actually going deep into this particular episode, I want to go back to last week's episode for a moment. <laughs> and talk about the final scene of Rimmerworld. Yeah, the one okay. we weren't supposed to see. And as I'm sure you remember, the episode finished uh, when, due to a miscalculation by Crichton, that takes them into the future where they meet themselves, minus sister, that, sure. and the future Rimmer tells them that something hideous ha has happened to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Originally, this would have turned out to be a practical joke, as sister was only missing because he is in the toilet. Ah. Ah. The scene was filmed, but it was cut. Aha. Uh -huh. Interesting. And so now they've made a bit of a conundrum because when did that scene take place now in relation to the timeline that we've seen? Um, so there has to be at some point after which they find out Lister was a brain in a jar and we're talking about what they had seen of their future selves, but we're past the crisis point apparently. So have they jumped into season seven in season six, episode <laughs> no, five? I think it was just 
uh, Rimmer putting um, putting the coattails of Lister. I know. It had nothing to do with what was ha- about to happen, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> you're trying to explain it, and you know. Well, yeah, there's there's in show continuity, and yeah. then there's behind the scenes continuity, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, okay. Well, this episode then. Uh, we begin with Rimmer becoming the uh, second worst morale officer in all of history, right behind our good friend Neelix. Neelix um. is an awesome morale officer. <laughs> Shut up. He, like, tells Tuvok that he needs to do, like, a prehistorical Vulcan holidays where everyone gets naked and he gives out coffee. <laughs> Um, I've said it before and I'll say it again on this podcast. Please, can we not talk about Neelix? He still gives me nightmares. I love Neelix. (laughs) Shut up. I am Neelix's only fan, apparently. I like him okay. He's annoying. Half the time he's annoying. Half the time I think he's he's rather charmingly annoying. So, yeah. All right. And so, yeah, Remmer decides going to handle this whole morale problem by having a weekly coffee and or beer or beverage, get together, and air out some differences. Brilliant idea. I, I really like how he gets into it, and then, of course, Family just uses meeting. it as an excuse, yeah, as an excuse to browbeat the rest of the crew uh, with heavily, heavily quotable material that we probably don't even need to, uh, to say here. So nice. Well, this, the script for this episode was incredibly late. Oh. Um, so late, in fact, when it comes to the rehearsal time, uh, they had to send the cast home early because they had literally nothing to rehearse. Oh, bummer. They were quite literally out of time to write the episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? I've often wondered whether that was sort of, as a title, was a placeholder. And I think it's been said either way, but they're just, oh, what's the uh, sixth story called? Uh, we don't know yet. We're out of time. I don't know. And it just, <laughs> then they built the episode around that. I don't know. Well the, working t- well, the working title I've got in front of me is called Present from the Future. Uh, of course, yeah. Mm. Oh, like present and present. It's a pun. Because it's a gift and a time period. (laughs) Anyway. um, (laughs) uh, Let's see then. Uh, So then we get our obligatory uh, cockpit action scene. Which we love. Yes. Uh, Yes. And... uh, they come across a strange energy field. As you do. As you do. In space. Um, I kind of like this idea, though, of unreality bubbles. Yeah, to confuse and disorient to the point where people just turn turn around and go away. And sort of fits with the time uh-huh. travel thing. Mm. Yeah, and to be hilarious... Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, for so. the record, my spoilery thing that I mentioned on the Facebook group, mm, the yes. one tiny mm-hmm. scene that they showed was the crew with animal heads. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> That's the best bit ever. <laughs> yeah. Although, oh, and here's oh, Rosie, you're here, Although, so this this makes it even okay. better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, we've often talked about the uh, J.K. Rowling uh, Red Dwarf uh, theory. Um, mm-hmm. Well, on the freeze frame, it didn't show the other two. All we could see was one with a deer head and one with a wolf head. Yes. So I thought if we would have just added a dog and a rat, we would have had the marauders. Yeah, we could. Uh, yeah. Oh, maybe we could. We could make that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> probably not there because you know actually those animals all have um, like alchemical meanings and whatnot that Rowling, being the genius she is, uh, works mm. in with her scholarly humor but uh still it was a nice moment there when i when i wondered if the other two animals were going to be the rest of the marauders <laughs> um but our first no. uh, oh sorry what sorry i was just gonna say it, it just it still makes me cry with laughter every time that <laughs> bit <laughs> it was nice just don't lose your heads <laughs> Bam. Yeah. Oh, funnily enough, uh, like yesterday, no, but was yesterday Friday? Yes. Yeah, yesterday yes, on campus, Friday. I had gotten on the bus to come home from school and I saw a guy with a horse head mask bebopping down the way there. Um, <laughs> last day of classes. You never know what you're going to see. <laughs> um, but our first unreality bubble is we find out that this entire time Lister has been an android oh my goodness how could we not have known and okay I was not fooled even for a second on that one I didn't I didn't know unreality bubble was going to be the answer but I knew that it was going to be uh, a fake out um neat concept though that's uh, one of the scenes where you can really tell that you know the scripts were late uh, because uh, at one point, Robert Llewellyn sort of turns to his side, does a bit of dialogue, and then turns back, and that's because he's reading it off a giant uh, idiot board that has been hold, held up Aww. because they wrote the script the night before, or even possibly on the day. I'm sure Shane's got uh, a good fact coming up a bit later on as well. Yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. I want to. I want to leave that to the for the cockpit. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, and so we find out that once. Uh, once Crichton finds out that Lister is an android, boy is he peeved. And not only an android, but a lower class of android. And, uh, yeah. It gets, um... It gets, gets uncomfortable, uncomfortable on the Starbug. <laughs> do, you think, do you think that's slightly out of character? No. Not at all. Not at all. No? Cr- Crichton has uh, consistently be seen as, been seen as self-loathing. He considers himself as an android to be worth worth less than the humans, and is always trying to sacrifice himself in every situation rather than see harm come to them. So, if a lower class android comes along, then yeah, he's going to be even worse. Treat that android even worse than he treats himself, which is pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, just being something doesn't automatically mean you feel sympathy for the people who are with you. I mean, you can see that with, um, you know, oppressed people talking bad about other oppressed people, like, you know, women who are not feminists, for instance, and, you know, think women should not do certain things. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, I completely believed this character thing. Plus, he was pushing himself up. 
He was sitting in the front of the cockpit. <laughs> uh, it, it ties into it's so, you know the deep space equivalent of the British class system, where yeah. it's you know mm. working class, middle class, and upper class, and Crichton suddenly discovers, ah, oh, I can better myself here. I'm not the lowest ranked anymore. I'm gonna yeah. pick, I, I, as soon as I get a, a bit of social elevation, I'll pick on the person who's below me. Yeah, he just he just suddenly seems so mean <laughs> to yeah. me. <laughs> but and yeah, he always treats the others with such respect. But himself, he treats rather, rather uh, poorly. shabby, yeah. shabbily, poorly. Yeah. And we like um, to think of that as being, you know, just selfless and a good person, but that's not necessarily true. Uh, I was a bit surprised, though. By I mean, I guess it was a bit of a, a shell shock. But Lister's, it's like, well, okay, I guess I'll make log cabin <laughs> sandwich cookies now. <laughs> great he he looked so okay i'll do this and then later he's like i got the fencing right i'll go do it again i just i just love that uh, little bit uh, cadbury's chocolate fingers do you have those no um of course we have we have cadbury eggs they're really big around easter um and so chocolate thing are they like uh, like biscotti or are they like a candy bar what 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 are they it's yeah it's, a biscuit yeah. covered in in chocolate yeah chocolate fingers <laughs> like. yeah but are they like are, is it like more like just like solid chocolate like a candy bar or is it like a like a toasted bread chocolate thing uh, Ian take it uh, <laughs> it's more it's biscuit in the English sense of the word biscuit, not the American sense. Uh, it's okay, like, yeah, so, uh, so it's similar a to like a, like a biscotti. Yeah. Yeah, okay, like a, gotcha, cool. That kind of thing. Cool. Yeah, like a, like a pirouette, I guess. If um, you say so. Like a cookie. Yeah. It's so funny, yeah, it's so funny when we get into food talks, like <laughs> yeah. on the, uh, on the Facebook, they were talking about the, um, the fried, uh, deep fried Mars bars, and like apparently... <laughs> the history of the Mars bar, there was like an American version of the Mars bar that was different from the British Mars bar, which was based on the American Milky Way. So a Milky Way is kind of a Mars bar, but it's not because a Mars bar is sweet. So it's really weird. And and now you just got me confused. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So the American candy bar Milky Way, uh, the guy that invented it, his son went to um, uh, the UK and started Mars, Mars bars. Uh, then they made an American version of the Mars bar, which was a little bit different, even though a Mars bar was just sort of a copy of a Milky Way. So there's the Milky Way, there's the Mars bar, there's the U.S. Mars bar, and then <laughs> then they stopped making it. And so, yeah, uh, the history of candy uh, and confections between our two countries is rich and varied. And anyway, back to Red Dwarf. <laughs> but did you have that advert with the, the, the blue car and the red car had a race? No. 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 He's not lived. <laughs> Current, currently, uh, the funniest um, advert, well, maybe not funniest, but the more interesting candy advertisement. Are you familiar with uh, Kit Kats? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So the advertisements here for those is that. Wait a minute. I, I, I said uh, Kit Kats. I was thinking of Twix. Twix. Do you have yeah. Twix? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, so the advertisements here, they pretend like. Twix had a falling out between itself and split into two companies, one of which makes the left Twix and one of which makes the right Twix. 
And they have oh, nothing. We have in... that too. Oh yeah, okay. I love that. Yeah, presumably just a localized voiceover in different yes. places. <laughs> cool. Oh yeah, like we did when we stole uh, Anthony Stewart head to advertise a different coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Taster's <laughs> choice instead of what was gold it? Label. Something gold. Gold blend. Gold label. Oh. Yeah. So speaking of coffee, <laughs> uh, that's what. Lister is getting the rest of them on uh, the Starbucks. Nice. Nicely done. <laughs> Segway accomplished. <laughs> um, and yeah, then they find out about this whole reality bubble situation, and Crichton is uh, somewhat abashed. Uh, <laughs> Lister threatens to find some way of having him make it up to him eventually. <laughs> I hope that actually comes back. I hope, well, of course, it's a long way in the future. But I do hope that four they, years. four years from now, remember that, that Lister had said that. Yeah, of course, at that point, uh, when Crichton is uh, talking about the unreality, unreality bubbles, he's actually reading it off the order queue. Nice. Because the script was so late, they actually had to install order queues in the cockpit. Cool. It works. Yeah. I mean, it never really looked like he was reading from two cards. Not to me, anyway. No, he, I think, is really good at working his Crichton mannerisms into looking at cue cards when he has to. Mm-hmm. Like, when he, like, turns his head and looks and for a minute and then turns back, that's very androidy, I think. Mm. Yeah. But it wasn't just him reading an auto cue, the entire cast were reading auto cues. Oh, wow. But like I said, I never noticed. Yeah. Like, they did it really well. I guess if I was staring at where their eyes were pointed at every second and obsessing over it, I would have noticed. Or but... or if we if we had watched this ten times. Yeah. Like, like a lot of UK fans. Um, well, that story, I don't seem to recall hearing that until quite a long time after the episode came out. And so I'd watched it you know, 50 to 100 times before I knew the story, and I hadn't noticed. It's, you can notice it now if you were to watch it again with that knowledge in mind. You'd be able to tell, oh, yeah, that bit. But, yeah, it is yeah. really well done. Definitely. I mean, there's this one story which is on the documentary, I seem to remember, yeah. um, hmm. about you've got the autocue in front uh, Robert the Wayne's got the autocue in front of him. Get ready for this. Get ready for the scene. The autocue goes blank, and I literally type in the script onto the autocue. <laughs> uh, so it's like white out on the on the computer screen, man. That's awesome. So, so he, so he kind of knows the lines he's going to say. He's not one hundred percent certain about them. That's why he's got the autocue. Then the autocue goes completely blank. Types the new lines. Three, two, one, and action. Oh, uh, let's see. Um, yeah, getting it done. Scraping and surviving. Um, let's see. Uh, then our next reality bubble that pops up is we lose yet another cast member as Cat <laughs> fades out of existence. Poor Cat. Reminded me of that season four Buffy episode. Indeed. The Haunted House and Xander. Or the season uh, seven Buffy episode with Willow. Yeah. Same time, same place. Uh, so. Hmm. 
Hmm. Now, I know Joss Whedon spent some time in the UK. Did he watch Red Dwarf? But anyway. Probably. Uh, let's see. Probably. He I mean, kept he talking about star bars. Guy. Yeah. Apparently, he is very keen on UK candy over US candy and talked praise the star bar a lot. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Um, reality bubbles. Right? Cat disappears. Cat comes back. Um, we get our hilarious horse head scene. Oh, yes. Can I chip in for a minute? Sorry. Please do. Of course you can. Go ahead. <clears throat> this is not uh, Red Dwarf related at all. Well, this is the intro uh, But I teach... Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I teach a lady called... She, she's called Willow. And uh-huh. when I said, well, you know, what? what's your real name? She said, oh, yeah, my parents named me. I'm called Buffy. <laughs> and I said, oh. <laughs> well, and she's... She's older than me. She's about 35. So I said, well, you know, where do you get that name from? And she went, well, I don't know. I don't think... I think it was just a complete coincidence. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. That's <laughs> awesome. Has she ever heard of the show or watched the show? Yeah, anything? she had. She okay. said she got a lot of stick for it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, my grandmother named um, a dog Buffy many years ago, like yeah, but way before the show or the movie. Um so I don't know where the Buffy comes from as a name. So uh, anyone who wants to research that and get back to us, you can email us at uh, the Red Dwarf Podcast at gmail.com. Or just tell us on the Facebook group and we can, you know, somehow end up talking about candy. Um, I like talking about candy. <laughs> yes. I was just uh, eventually, fish. Uh, they. Oh, I love Swedish fish. Uh, they get through the reality bubbles and break through to a 28th century time ship. So apparently, both in the TNG universe and the Red Dwarf universe, 28th century, big time for time travel. It is. <laughs> um, and they find out that it is a time ship that happens to be conveniently abandoned because everybody died. Again. It's always the way. Again. Yeah. Apparently someone left a uh, hatch open and mutated space influenza. Yeah, I love when they said it's for not fall it's protected by these reality bubbles so it wouldn't fall into the wrong hands. And I'm like, You guys are the wrong hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then yeah, so weird, weird cuts here. I guess it's it's a way to move the plot along quickly. You know, we've complained in some of these past episodes about too long with the setup, not enough plot. You know, oh, goodness, they're going to get a time drive and we barely get to see it. Well, no, not a problem here. It's like, yeah, we're going to go on that ship. And then we're going to install this. Ba-da. Now it's installed. Ba-da. Now we have a time machine. And <laughs> I actually like that better. They've been spending it's, too yeah, long. It's cool. Just, you know, in setup. It was a little jarring, but I liked it. It worked. I think the reason for it is is partly, as you were saying, that they wanted to get on and you know use the time drive rather than waste five minutes of uh, traveling to the ship, picking it up, bringing it yeah. back again. But also, on a practical level, uh, it meant they didn't have to build a new set. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Usually honestly, they only go... Honestly, they used go to do that. You know... We used to complain, oh, we didn't get resolution. We didn't have, like, Lister turn back from being a chicken or something mm. like that. 
And, you know, we'd gotten used to, we don't need that. We don't need the scenes that aren't jokes and are just set up or resolution. Um, and then they went in this season to, let's do all of the setup and all of the resolution all the time. And all of the action, yeah. It's been, <laughs> been more action to it. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we quickly, quickly get the, our time uh, drive on board and set up. And here's the kicker. It works. <laughs> it, it didn't somehow work. fly out of the side of the ship and leave a gaping hole, as one might expect. It works um, exactly how it's supposed to. Exactly. <laughs> Indeed. And after some clever debate between Lister and Cat as to what year would be the best to go to, <laughs> they zip to the year 1421, which is awesome. I, I was thinking the whole time, yeah, that they're, they're not going through space, they're just going through time. Why aren't they getting that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny. They just assumed, I guess, that they would be... Well, you know, I guess if you grow up watching Doctor Who, you assume that if you time travel, you will end up in England. Um, somehow or another. Even the whole if... space of time in front of him, he's usually in London. Yeah. Or well, if, he had, if, he had, uh, if he had traveled to London, he could have actually seen on March 21st, 1421, the Battle of uh, Bruges. When a small French force surprises and defeats a smaller English force under Thomas, Duke of Clarence, a brother of Henry V. Well, there you go. <laughs> Something to see, I guess. Someone's been on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is just the most amazing thing that they they transport all that way and then it's, oh yeah, we're here. But, you know, we're still in deep space. But mm -hmm. just, and Crichton uh, is so excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was the best thing. Uh, so, indeed, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, realizing then that they have something useful, but maybe not quite as useful as they had hoped, um, they start thinking, well, maybe they have to find a faster-than-light drive to go with the time drive uh, to make it useful. Although, if they had a faster-than-light drive, then, you know, things would be easier anyway, but still, um, there you go. And uh, suddenly, there's an SOS message from the Starbug, mm -hmm. as one might expect. So, yeah, I was a bit surprised. I, I thought it was going to be like, you know, a week out and something had happened and there was going to be... But no, they've, they've uh, gone into the future here with this. <laughs> and we have reason to suspect that something may have happened to Lister. No. <laughs> Despite no. Crichton's am amazing cool head and acting. No. No, uh, oh, also. Go ahead. Speaking of um, TNG time travel, there's another neat parallel there. There is an episode in TNG where a time traveler, supposedly from the 28th century, pops up and uh, they have to go into his ship for some reason. And Picard sends Data because Data can literally go in, do what needs doing, and then erase the memory from his head, just as Crichton suggests that he can do. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out that the guy was a fake anyway, but still. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. 
they uh, find out that in the future, then uh, maybe they're not such nice people. That's what happens when you have all of time and space at your disposal and not a 900-year-old Time Lord. <laughs> well, the original plan was to actually for future Lister to become an android. Hmm. Hmm. Oh. Robot Grant and Doug Naylor asked the special effects department whether they could make a Lister Android for the episode, but with no time or budget. <laughs> Peter Rag gave him a flat no. So they asked, How about a brain in a jar? <laughs> I like it. Um, they did not explain, however, how. Um, Remember the hologram aged, so I'm a bit curious about that. Hard light drive. Yeah, but it. But he went through 600 years of not aging. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe he didn't engage his hard light drive when he was in the cell, but still, j- if having his hard. He just wanted to fit in. Go- yeah. The, <laughs> there you go. There's a fun. Oh, like is it like a data with gray hair in that episode? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Is a is a fun theory around it. It's not official, but of holograms aging in general. That because Rimmer was brought back to keep Lister sane, one of those things is that he ages at the same rate as Lister. Uh, oh. So when he's alone for six hundred years, uh, you know, but from Lister's point of view, it's only a few days, weeks, whatever it is, and so he stays the same. But he'll have been travelling with Lister in the future, so he so he's aged appropriately. <laughs> that is very clever, and it accounts for the actor age. <laughs> yeah, I, like. I was going to uh, say, yeah, Barry ages at the same age. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, Chris Barry. Um, also ages at the exact same rate as Craig Charles, so there's very little you can do there about you go. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some shows have that trouble. Buffy, for one, and, and Angel with the unaging vampires who get sort of puffy as the series continue. And but, the uh, non-aging James Marsters has even said... Hey, James yeah. Marsters did really well at staying... I know. How did looking he do essentially it? But the again, same. I would say the same thing about Juliet Landu. Mm-hmm. True. She hasn't aged a day. David Boreanaz could not say that. <laughs> He's become a better no. actor. But <laughs> yes. But he looks quite different than season season one... <laughs> Angel lurking about. Yeah, well, or season that... one Buffy. <laughs> season one Buffy, hey, yeah, you couldn't. Yeah, you're so wooden in that. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, um, back to Red Dwarf. <laughs> we do just need to change the podcast name. I know it's too <laughs> late now, but back to Red Dwarf. Um, let's see, where were we then? Yes, yes. So they find out that they're zipping around. Uh, oh, uh, Lister hooks up. The uh, medical scanner, which looks a lot like the thing that Spock uh, looks into back in the '60s all the time. Little uh, thing. Yeah, the little little submarine thing going on there. I like it. Um, and then and yeah, they, they have right laughs at their fates, each other's fates. And poor cat. For someone as vain as Cat, that's got to be rough. Yeah, well, it, it, you'll read my comment, I'm sure, later. But I, I don't believe that he'd let himself go like that. 
He'd rather die. <laughs> the, uh, I've got... Sorry, you go ahead in, sorry. Uh, the only future self that we haven't mentioned yet is possibly my favourite. It's Crichton, where the only difference is that he's wearing a toupee and false eyebrows. <laughs> and it, yeah. it's been 20 years since I first saw that, and still every time, just every single frame of Crichton with false eyebrows makes me laugh. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't have to be... like I remember once pausing the episode, going outside for a smoke and looking through the window and seeing it and just laughing at that. Oh, <laughs> uh, so. just a couple of quotes from interviews with the cast. Okay. Uh, Chris Barry said, "Quote the novel, the novelty of getting laughs and walking around like a fat git wore off. It's quite, it's quite weird seeing the signs of aging. I keep those little photographs and think when I get to fifty or fifty-five or whatever and look upon it." If I think if I look like I look there, facially it'll be right, but I hope I don't put that much weight on. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, any other ones? Shane? Uh, sorry. And Denny John Jules as the cat said he felt like there was more to act being old and they will make up and they will have makeup to do it for for him I think it's it's all in the eyes he said it happens to people you know in real life you think it's not him is it then you realize you went to school with this with this guy in the same class and he looks like your dad <laughs> yeah you know I'm I'm only what 30 how old am I sweetie 31 you're younger 31. than I am and I'm 32 yeah um, and when I look on Facebook and I see like all of my friends, they have kids now and I look at these little six year old kids and I'm like, <laughs> they look exactly like my friends when I first met them in school. It's so freaky. That's yeah. It's like, ah, oh, you haven't had a kid. You've just spawned a clone here. What, what has happened? Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah. Let's so you'll see. be spawning a clone soon. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Uh, who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Who can say? We can barely take care of the cat. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you have to have a license to drive a car, but uh, somehow the kids, they let you have with no training at all. (laughs) Go figure. Um... Let's see. So, uh, they find out what's going on, uh, that their future selves spend all of their time going around, eating, uh, hanging out with rich folks, having dinner with the Hitlers. Uh, We're delightful the of... as long as you avoid yeah. certain subjects. Yeah, just the don't talk about politics. The Borgias. Louis the Sixteenth. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, you know, and then Lister, uh, in a very believable um, move for him, uh, decides he's going to point a bazookoid at his future selves and kick him off the ship. He's going to have none of it. No. Because they are crypto fascists. <laughs> they are crypto fascists. <laughs> in this case, not even crypto fascists, just fascists. Um, 
So yeah, they hop on to Starbug Future, uh, and they run away, and everything is fine. Except, no, that's not what happens. They uh, threaten to blow up Starbug Prime if they don't get the information they want, um, even if it means destroying their current selves by destroying their past selves. And so our uh, Starbug crew mans up, or well, persons up, I should say. Well, then again, given the content of the show, they man up, and... Um, they decide, no, nope, not going to do it. They uh, are not going to help out their future fascist selves, even if it means self-sacrifice. And Rimmer, oh, I got goosebumps. Rimmer becomes awesome. <laughs> like, he's like, nah, man. And I find that strange. <laughs> because, I mean, Rimmer, Rimmer, okay, you know, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Rimmer apologist. I like Rimmer, but... You know, he idolizes Napoleon and all of these warlords and conquerors. But the idea that in the future he's going to be hanging out with warlords and conquerors and and, uh, infamous historical figures, he's not going to have it. So I I figured he, if any of them were going to be accepting of it, it was going to be Rimmer. But no. Yeah, and I'm going to have to try and bring Angela on side here. I've got a big crush on Rimmer. Is that wrong? <laughs> it's it's your right. To... <laughs> I just wondered if I was the only one. Oh, yeah, man. no, it's extraordinarily common. <laughs> yeah, the most some of the most popular episodes amongst female Red Dwarf fans are Terraform, where he's <laughs> naked and oiled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Hollow Ship, where he's got his top off. And Rimmer World. Rimmer World, of course. <laughs> Not his real buttocks, though, unfortunately. Ah, true. Oh, good. I'm not the only one. (laughs) But to me, I I think he is one of the most dynamic characters anyway. And Mm. I think, you know, if if there were one character that the show could not do without, like we were going to have to lose one of them, I I wouldn't want to lose any of them. But I think they could limp by... I think that, that losing Rimmer would be the the final straw. There's no way, I think, to have Red Dwarf without Rimmer. I think I think you could do without Lister, even even Lister, who's the central character, really. I think you could do without him easier than you could do without Rimmer. Yeah, I mean, and that's probably why they, they all, all the time, they're, they're bringing him in, multiple Rimmers, and uh, clones yeah. and everything <laughs> else, because they think, well, you know... This episode's not going well, we need more Rimmer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Throw a few clones. Chris Barry, he's good. Put him in more. <laughs> in this episode the entire crew of the red dwarf becomes Rimmer uh, in this oh, episode actually, Rimmer, that's... Rimmer 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 <laughs> oh you're getting dangerously close to using something as a verb that should not be used as a verb um, moving forward then so we get this action sequence uh, They uh, there's a firefight and uh because there are no uh, uh, circuit breakers in the future, then people get killed. Yes. And uh, <laughs> Remmer, the last surviving member, runs to the time drive and blows it up, and then to be continued. In four years. <laughs> dun, dun. <laughs> I'm glad you said that you got goosebumps uh, watching this, because that, that final sort of 30 seconds or so the action sequence oh, man, yeah. gives me, still gives me goosebumps now. 
Same here. And, uh, when Chris Berry, yeah, it's just trying to get the answer from Crichton, you know, what were you going to say? Ah, oh, he like acts the hell out of that yeah, all of a sudden. It's great. And you know, especially considering everything we've said about the fact that it was put together very last minute with very little rehearsal time. It's just, it's an outstanding uh, scene in a pretty good episode, but that scene in particular just completely stands out as one of the best ever in Red <laughs> Dwarf, I think. I, I agree. Now, let me go ahead and make a guess here before Shane says it. Okay. I noticed at one point, Chris Berry is running down a corridor and a pipe falls on him and hits him in the shoulder. Uh, I'm going to guess that it wasn't planned, that that pipe weighed 300 pounds, <laughs> and that Chris Berry frac- fractured his collarbone uh, and was in, in a full body traction for a month. I wasn't going to say anything of the sort. Oh, well. I was, however, going to say... It was actually pre-recorded very, very late in the day, that last little bit. And the floor manager was literally counted down the seconds until the lights went off. Wow. They were that harsh on him with the budget, huh? Show got Chris Berry. The end. Yeah. So, um, Angela and I are trying to theorize about what's going to happen here. Now, clearly, if they blow up that time drive, then the future ship won't have a time drive whereby it can come back and attack them. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. However, it also creates a time paradox, because if he blows up the time drive, then he never had a reason to blow up the time drive, so he didn't blow up the time drive, so he has to blow up the time drive, so he never had a reason to blow up the time drive. Oh, my head hurts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right? So, yeah, it, it creates an, an, an infinite feedback loop in, in the time paradox there. At what what point is history going to reset to him having blown up that time drive? Is it just going to stop there and everybody's still dead except for him? Or is it going to reset to a time before they got the time drive for some reason? Um, I'm, I'm a bit confused as to how that will work out with our time travel fictional physics here. Or so, was that entire sequence in a reality pocket? I, I you know, I, I, I kept waiting for that to happen in the episode. Okay, well, well now spoilers, that, uh, they're all dead apart from Rimmer in the next no. series. <laughs> yeah. Done. It's the Chris Berry show. He got renamed. <laughs> <laughs> so... We called everyone into the office, and we said, we have some news for you. And they said, oh, what, are we all uh, sacked? And then we just stared at them. <laughs> and then we gave them presents and sent them on their way. Well, exactly. Um, we went, Chris Barry's the best one. <laughs> the rest of you can bugger off. <laughs> See if the U.S. wants to do a version. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm very curious, very curious as to how this is going to work out. Now, the the reality bubble theory I considered, but given the intensity of the end of the episode, that would actually disappoint me a little bit. Now, if like at some point in this episode before all that, or maybe during all that, it had done the reality bubble reset, I would have been like, okay. But if they wait four, well, they didn't know they were waiting four years. But if I had to wait four years and then find out that the cliffhanger that I had me on tinterhooks all that time never actually happened, I would be a bit peeved. I hope that they will resolve it in a way that maintains that as canon. So, do you want me to tell you what the next episode is called now, or do you want, to, do you want me to wait? 
Uh, well, we're going to find out anyway. What is the title of the next episode? The next episode is called Tika to Ride. Tika Spell that for me. What now? T-I-K-K-A. Tika. Tika. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Tika to Ride. Yeah. Well, I have my okay. own theory about how the cliffhanger is going to resolve. Hit it. Um, there's going to be some sort of entity, a uh, robot, gelf, energy force, genetically... Mutated virus. Yeah, whatever. There's going to be a thing that resolves timelines, but it's sort of going to be told in sort of like a godlike judgment thing. Uh, You think it's going to be... It's a wonderful life. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They're going to have to prove that they are worth being restored to the timeline. Nice. Well, but they already sort of did that, though, with, um, with, uh... Inquisitor. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, so Inquisitor. Like a, a continuity robot <laughs> that comes along and tells yeah. them all off for not being... <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's what the Time Lords were supposed to do, right? <laughs> and now, now there's just one left, but, uh... Hmm. Yeah. You know, I like that. I like the theory, and it it really fits with the tone of some of the writing we've seen. I don't think it's right, but I like it. I, I wouldn't be shocked if it were right. <laughs> well, maybe I'll have a dream about it. And there you go. Be able to... I dreamed a dream <laughs> about Red Dwarf. <laughs> uh, let's see. Why did my computer screen just go off? Oh dear. The script's oh, being replaced. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Quick, give me some tape and glue. I'm going to put my notes up on the screen. Um, so, yeah, this episode, uh, I really, really liked. I thought it was the best one uh, this season for me. Good. And, you know, maybe their scrambling to get the script out late was actually pretty good because they had less time to focus on uh, big gags that needed lots of costumes and special effects and everything and they could just focus on telling the story. Mm. Like getting it out there. They didn't have to worry about how much time to spend on the Wild West town or or, or you Speaking know, putting of... someone in a costume and making them into a simulant or whatever. <laughs> uh, speaking of special effects though, I have to say that Starbug exploding, they, you know, the model work is usually so so good, but the Starbug exploding was a bit anemic, special effect wise. <laughs> well, it was done uh, they, so late in the day. Yeah, they, they, I, I, okay. they quite literally just ran out of money. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, so, uh, I honestly don't mind uh, if these special effects. I find them charming. I, I don't either, but it's just usually the model work is is. A feature in this show. I mean, it's it's really quite solid and, and consistent. So I guess it stands out when it's not. Anyway, uh, any more points about the episode before we move on to feedback? I've got a point, but it's not about the episode, and I want to save it till later on. Sure. Well, okay. Fine. Keep your <laughs> secrets, Shane. <laughs> See if we care. So, uh, in that case, it's time for feedback. Now, Shane, you had said that I shouldn't read particular feedback. Is it time to read that feedback now? It's fine. Yes, it's fine. 
Oh, okay. Well, let's feedback the feedback and on the feedback page. Who wants to start? As I click to the feedback. Yuan <laughs> <laughs> uh, says, Out of time is one of my very favorite Red Dwarf episodes. Rumors, morale. Will you stop making fun of the British spelling? I was going to make fun of you on our podcast when we read out your, your feedback. <laughs> but I didn't do it. Favo right. Favo right. Favo Red Dwarf episodes. You said favorite. Rumors, morale. Sorry, go on. Go for it. Yes. <laughs> I'm always going to make fun of that. Okay. Always. <laughs> Rumors morale meeting is fantastic, as is the chocolate finger biscuit log cabin and the gag about the time machine and moving them anywhere. I love how genuinely impressed and excited Crichton is compared to the others. Future Rumor is excellent, yet more outstanding work by Fitzberry. Chop it all off. Dramatic cliffhanger. Ending. How will the dwarfers get out of this one? Has our dynamic quadruples goose been cooked? Tune in. Same bat time, same bat channel. Bum, bum, bum. I read Paul Hasler's. I can see, I can sense Heath continuity geshing as he wonders why they need a time drive when last week the teleporters seemed to be also a time drive if you, if you rush the calculations. <clears throat> but yes, a good episode, but not the greatest. I'm sure Paul or Shane would have pointed at the lateness of the episode and the auto queue issue. Ever since I found that out, it does take you out the episode a little bit, spotting them reading their lines. There are some great moments, though. Rimmer's gloating over Zeus's fate, quoting Crichton mourning over this in advance, and the ending. We had to wait four years before a resolution. Surely the last thing we saw in Red Wolf was actually Rimmer being heroic? Surely not. <laughs> uh, let's Rimmer see. being heroic there was actually quite... You know, I, I get the crush there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and as far as the continuity thing, you know, I just viewed that that the teleporter is not supposed to be a time traveler, that it's it's unpredictable, uh, that it can't be used for that permanently, and, and not to move the whole ship, um, even though I think maybe it has been. But um, So, you know, I, I don't view that as a, as a permanent, reliable means of time traveler. I view it as a glitch instead of a feature. Uh, so, no, it doesn't bother me that finding a time drive is a big deal. Uh, Sam Highland says, I love future Crichton's toupee and eyebrows. There's just something about it that looks fantastically stupid. Yeah. Uh, other than that, it's a great episode. Uh, well, you said you love it. Why is it other than that? Um, it's a great episode. The morale meeting. The clarification of deep sleep modules rather than stasis units. The reality minefield and their future selves all could be swept aside for the dramatic finale to the episode, perhaps Rimmer's greatest moment in the history of the show. Well acted and given great gravitas. Good word, gravitas. How could the crew possibly get out of that mess? Good question. Then some Ian guy. I don't know, just skip that. He's cool. I like him. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Caps chimes in with such a shame that a great episode is going to be ruined by a terrible guest. That's no way to talk oh. about Rosie. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was evil. Uh, yeah, I jumped in at the last it. minute. Come on. <laughs> yeah, come on, Jonathan. Jonathan is so cruel. Yeah, I'll get him. <laughs> uh, somebody want to read Russ? 
address, I guess. Uh, finally, a realistic time travel device on a TV show. The assumption is that upon turning it on, they'll be back to Earth, but in reality, that makes no sense. They're still where they are, just at a different point in time. I wonder, though, does the time drive have a safety feature to prevent them appearing in the middle of a planet that has since moved? Is that too confusing? Heath probably knows what I mean and can explain it better. <sighs> Sadly, I do, in fact, know what you mean. And yeah, that is a perennial tr pr problem with time travel and as it's shown almost everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um... But and, and but no, it's not just uh, just for t cases like this. It's so. Let's say I'm on Earth, right? And I decide I'm going to time travel. So I jump uh, five months into the future. So I'm standing in Alabama, and I jump five months into the future. Well, here's the thing: the Earth is not where it used to be. The Earth has moved around the Sun quite uh, quite a bit. Also, the Earth has been rotating. So, am I still going to be in Alabama, or am I going to be in the middle of the Pacific Ocean? Who knows? So, I'm go I'm either going to be floating around in space, or I'm going to be in the ocean, unless somehow my time travel device compensates for the entire motion of the Earth, uh, the Earth's turning, the Earth around the Sun, the Sun's movement within the solar, uh, the Milky Way. I mean, there's a lot of and even galaxies rotating around galaxies, I suppose. So, time travel gets really ticky. Oh, you're making me think of um, Hitchhiker's Guide. It, yeah, yeah, it does get to that, yeah. Now, maybe if you had something like the time machine from H.G. Wells' The Time Machine that is, like, on Earth, it's, like, stationary on Earth. Mm -hmm. So it's continually within the gravity of Earth. And yeah. you just, with a lever, move forward and backward in time. You don't disappear and reappear. You just slow yourself down or speed yourself up. I don't know. Maybe that would Yeah. Work. Yeah, if it was anchored to the Earth in some way. Yeah. Or if it were anchored to its future self. Mm -hmm. But then it has to still exist within the time that you're going to. Unless you think that... A time traveling thing exists at all times and all places at once. Right. So anyway, back to Renfor. <laughs> My brain hurts. Uh, <laughs> Me too. Rosie. Yeah. Oh, Rosie made the comment that she made about cat. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, not letting himself go. <laughs> Uh, Paul says, I like how the future crew hasn't bothered to find out where Red Dwarf is or found Holly or anything that... Oh, wait. No, I don't. LOL. <laughs> it always That's an interesting point. It always occurred to me that if they're following Red Dwarf's vapor trail and they're, say, a month behind it, why don't they travel back in time a month and Red Dwarf will be in that part of space? Well, my thought was, oh. why not travel a whole, whole long way back in time, like three million years back in time, and then go into a deep sleep mode? Because then they would have to trust that the ship, that Starbug, can travel three million years without their supervision or with only Crichton, and I don't think that Starbug can travel three million years. The mm. uh, Red Dwarf... Red Dwarf um, is self-sufficient in terms of fuel, and Starbug isn't. Yeah. And also oxygen supply and all sorts of 
yeah, other what, considerations. What they need is one of those escape pods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And those self-sustaining <laughs> escape pods. Stop every few years, build a planet, you know. <laughs> Which, why didn't they harness that technology for the Starbug? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> well, it ran out. Uh, because it was solar... It, it was solar based, so they had to. Um, it would have to be fueled by constant exposure to a sun within close proximity, and I don't think starlight would would really get the job done. Uh, Sam Highland says, "Who says they didn't?" Starbuck having the same time drive uh, fitted rather than Red Dwarf makes more sense as Starbuck can actually land. Red Dwarf must uh-huh. have built in space and never intended to go anywhere closer to the planet than orbit. Well, there you go. It Although has been it, accounted for. It has been accounted for. <laughs> uh, Darren Forster says, while it has its moments, this is not my cup of tea. I would have preferred them to stay in the unreality field. Lots of jokes to be in mind there. When we get to the meat of the story, I must confess to being pretty underwhelmed by the story from that point. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and finishing off with Anthony James. Question. What Anthony. Do- Sorry? Anthony. There's no H. Anthony. Okay. <laughs> you told. Was- Sorry. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Sorry. I'll st- stand in the corner, shall I teach you? <laughs> didn't mean to make it snitty. Just... <laughs> Sorry. So- Sorry about that, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Question: Would there a time have to be regarded have to be regarded so highly in RD fandom if it hadn't been for the uncertainty of ever being a Series Seven, coupled with the long wait for it to arrive? Hmm. You know, I gotta say, Anthony, at least from my point of view, and you know, I'm not going to have that long wait. I'm just going episode by episode. Longtime fans and oh, sorry, uh, <laughs> uh, but. I thought, no, as an episode, standing alone, I thought it was one of the best of this season, and and in the context of what I've seen seasons one through six, not my favorite, but definitely definitely top ten material, maybe definitely even edging into top five material. Yeah, I, I'd say it stands alone as well. I mean, there's just, there's so much stuff packed into there. You've obviously got the drama of the ending that we've spoken about already but yeah. there's so many good comedy moments in there as well like the morale meeting and uh, Lister as a android and the unreality pockets and and Crichton's eyebrows there, there's so much in there that I think regardless of the context around it on its own merits it's a top 10 episode mm-hmm. interesting because I'm reminded of uh, Twin Peaks mm. and Twin Peaks I'm not sure if anyone's seen it if they haven't, I won't spoil the ending. But it has arguably um, the greatest yeah. cliffhanger in the history of television. Mm-hmm. And I've always wondered, if it didn't have that cliffhanger, will it be be so highly regarded and make fans wanting more that they never got? Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's David Lynch. I mean, he's... He puts together really good stuff. <laughs> I don't think the cliffhanger itself makes for good TV. I mean, otherwise... I think cliffhangers cliffhangers do make things memorable. They get attention. Mm-hmm. But I think if the episode that leads up to the cliffhanger isn't good, then it's not going to work. Yeah, it's like... 
like the episode was good. There was lots of good acting, you know, under adverse circumstances. Um, lots of good character moments. Lots of really believable interaction, and I, it was a well-paced, well-put-together story. And I think the cliffhanger is a good gimmick that does not necessarily impart quality. You know, a cliffhanger by itself is just, uh, who cares? Mm. It's just a narrative device like any so... other. So it's got to be a good device. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we've got some Twitter feedback. Ooh. Twitter, Twitter! Twitter. Uh, Liz Richards on the Twitter feed says, uh, Hard to believe it's been 20 years since Grant helped write an episode. This was his last, I Uh-oh. think. Mm. Uh, also, for once, Rimmer isn't the biggest jerk towards Lister. Odd how unsympathetic Crichton was to his android plot. We've talked about that. Uh, Claire Calvert, in answer, says, Agreed. This app's very good, but that's always spoiled it a bit for me. Uh, very good app and terrific cliffhanger, but Crichton's characterization is all over the place. And we have already disagreed, but, you know... And everyone's <laughs> entitled to their opinions. It is off-putting. Yeah, I, I still uh, I think didn't. it's slightly out of character. I didn't think it was out of character, but I didn't enjoy those scenes. Mm. Mm. You know? That's the end of the Twitter feedback. Oh, any, any more feedback? Nope, it's fine. Well... Thank you all for your feedback. Um, you know, uh, if you want to leave feedback uh, for us or for an episode, you can do so uh, by emailing us at the Red Dwarf Podcast at gmail.com, spelled Gmail. Uh, you can Twitter at us at uh, twitter.com slash Red Dwarf And you can always hop on our Facebook group or the Facebook spoilers group if you are so inclined uh, and chat with us there. We love uh, hanging out there. Um, so, and we hope you will. Also, iTunes. Um, subscribe on iTunes, maybe. Uh, you know, we notice a lot of folks go to the Podbean site to get the, the episode there. That's cool. Um, iTunes is fairly convenient as well, though, if that's your cup of tea. Uh, so, awesome. Um, maybe, you know, drop five stars and say that, you know, we're a really awesome podcast that is constantly entertaining and has changed your life for the better and eventually is going to lead to a, an age of enlightenment for mankind, ushering in a, an age of peace and harmony and good health for all. Well, okay, it, we're not the wild stallions. It did then, uh, mine. It's true. I'm just, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gushing, but it did, it did really help me to, to push on Aww. and do what I'm doing. So. Well, hey, <laughs> we we stole all of our ideas from the, the, the Buffy podcast. Okay. But... And then I stole all of yours, so, oh. you know. What goes around comes around. That's potential cast. The Puppy uh, the Vampire Slayer cast. Um, so, uh, thank you for the feedback. Uh, you know what? Speaking of other podcasts that we enjoy, uh, maybe check this one out. The myths of a thousand worlds tell of a time when darkness enveloped the galaxy, an age before the coming of the fifth race. Tales and legends of gods that could crush worlds but with a gesture, and vast armies to enslave the free peoples of our realms. Armies whose existence spanned hundreds of generations, yet long gone, 
and we ask ourselves, what if these myths have a kernel of truth? One thing is known, those who now claim to be descended from the fifth race are not eager to look back into the darkness, but events have conspired against them as long lost worlds outside of the gate systems have been discovered. The first artifacts and data have been studied, and now is the time for the true story to be told. These are the people of the fifth race, before they became saviors of the galaxy. Watch, listen and comprehend, then spread the lessons we learned from the people of the Earth and its Stargate command. Engage the translation matrix. Matrix ready. Input search phrase. Gatecast, a Stargate podcast. Gatecast implemented. Translation and interpretation engaged for Stargate archives. Audio format. Enhance, please. Gatecast additional data located. Gatecast.co.uk Also under the heading Facebook, Google+, Twitter and iTunes. Gatecast. By fans, for fans. Stargate forever. And we are back, and it is time to rate this episode. Um, well, we have two guests. Oh, that's quite, you only have to fight over it. Uh, Rosie, why don't you? Why don't you go okay. first? Okay, uh, I will go ahead and give it. I, I really do like this episode, and I'd forgotten that it was the one where they suddenly end up with moose heads. So <laughs> hilarious! <laughs> um, I'm going to give it nine out of ten. Fat cat. <laughs> <laughs> He's a fat cat. <laughs> yeah. Well, as previously mentioned, I adore this episode. Um, interestingly, uh, sort of interestingly, in the recent poll that we did on Ganymede and Titan of the best episodes mm. ever, it came in number 12. But mm. five years previously to that, we did a sort of a poll that was just the five or six it was at the time um, G&T writers uh, ranking our favourite episodes and it was number two there so wow, I like it even more than most people do and most people really like it so on that basis uh, again I'm going to have to give it ten out of ten interlaced log cabin structures <laughs> nice who wants to go i let you go Heath oh okay um, you know what? I like this episode a lot. Um, I thought as a, it worked really well as a season ender. Um, I guess at the time there was potential for it to be a show ender, right? I mean, did they know for sure that they were coming back? Uh, they wanted to, but there was a few bits and bobs which we'll get into in the next episode. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it worked as the last episode of, of a season. It really worked just as an episode. I thought it had humor, it had action, um sort of explored the characters Chris Berry's acting for the last five minutes was amazing um, so really no real complaints here uh, with, with it and also yeah the gimmick uh, even even a funny gimmick in the reality bubbles I'm going to land at I think 9.5 uh, games of canasta with the Hitlers <laughs> okay I, I'll go next if that's okay sure again I love this episode the, that final f- three or four minutes still makes the hair on the back of my neck stand on end even after I've seen it I don't know how many times over the years so I'm going to have to give it nine brains in a jar (laughs) (laughs) with dreadlocks Uh, yeah I I do love that they put the dreadlocks (laughs) on the jar I didn't mention that (laughs) 
I'm going to follow suit, and because of the fantastically dramatic rumor and the fantastically dramatic ending, I am giving it 9 out of 10 pandimensional liquid beasts for Christmas. <laughs> there goes that quote. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so, uh, speaking of, so let's see then, we had a 10, uh, a 9.5, and three nines. is that yeah. right? Yeah. So if we were to average that, that would be, let's see, 27, 37, uh, 46.5 divided by 5. Um, somebody got a... 9 and a bit. <laughs> 9 and a bit, all right. That's the technical term. <laughs> So, uh, that is our ratings. It is now time for the Quotorama. Well, since we let uh, Rosie go first on the on the ratings, uh, Ian, do you want to drop the first quote on it? Uh, go on, then. It's quite a long one as well. Uh, but here we go. Do you know what it is about Lister that really makes me want to puke? That really makes me want to stab him in both eyes with an ice pick? Everything, that's what. Especially his god-awful, chirpy, gerbil-faced optimism. And as for the cat, what an unbelievable git. And Crichton... If he doesn't change pronto, I swear I'll attach jump leads to his nipple nuts and fry him like a Cajun catfish. <laughs> well, I think that's cleared the air. I don't know about you, but I'm certainly feeling better. Thank you for your contributions, gentlemen. See you at next week's morale meeting. Marvellous. <laughs> yep, had that entire thing yeah. written down here. Yeah. I knew someone would, I like that one. so I got there first. Um, I was a bit surprised. So, um, Cajun catfish. Mm. That's something that y'all are familiar with over there. Mm, possibly, possibly not. Uh, I don't really know because I'm so familiar with this script more than I am with mm. the rest of Britain. <laughs> but um, I think it comes from a time where Rob and Doug had gone to America uh, to do the uh, US Red Dwarf pilot and come back. And, and you know, in, throughout series six, you know, there's a lot more one liners, there's a lot more snappy dialogue, uh, which was. Mm -hmm. As far as they were concerned, that's what they'd learnt and wanted to take away from their experience of American sitcom. And also, you're getting into the sort of episode count where you're starting to think about syndication and selling it abroad. So they were dropping in more sort of international references at this stage that weren't necessarily UK centric anymore. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a well-known thing cool. here, is it? I, I wouldn't have said. No. Mississippi is a, is a big producer of catfish, actually, and, and I love Cajun food. It's one of my favorite mm. kinds. So. Um, I was just surprised to hear Cajun food or Cajun catfish referenced yeah. in a British mm. sitcom. Yeah. And we, it, have ca we have sorry. Cajun food, but not necessarily catfish. But Cajun, catfish definitely. And if I can, can I drop something in at this point? Sorry, I'll, I'll edit it sure. out. Uh, the, when they had the big badges... I was screaming out the podcast when I was listening. <laughs> um, do you remember in the... Was it Time Slides where the cat had the big badges on his kit? Is that right, Ian? Oh. Uh, I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, they, they had... Uh, they suddenly, he suddenly had the big red dwarf badge on his coat. Oh. oh. Lister yeah. has that in, in yeah. Marooned. Yeah, and Cat has it in t yeah. in time size when they're playing golf. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that was at, okay. at the time they were trying to reach out to the USA as well. I think 
Maybe. That they were yeah. trying to sort of, sort of like push it in their face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, branding. The USA <laughs> loves branding. <laughs> anyway, sorry, carry on. Cool. <laughs> no, and, and there's no need to edit that out either. That was awesome. Um, so, uh, actually, Rosie, it is your turn to and quote. And it's my time time to say well i didn't prepare for this episode at all because i was only brought in an hour before <laughs> so <laughs> oh that's right i don't have any i'm sorry <laughs> oh it's fine um let's see i will go then let's see so there's that one and there's that one that have already been used okay fine i'll use this one uh sirs choose any year since we can't guarantee this time drive is going to be functioned properly, I suggest we select a neutral time period for our first jaunt. It's got a point. Let's go to someplace nice and safe and dull. How about 1422? How about 1421? What's the difference? No difference. I just wanted to make it look like I was paying attention. Shane or Angela? I have lost all of my quotes. Shane, you go. Okay. Where's the cat? I'm here! They've taken the cat! He's gone! (laughs) He's not gone! I'm here! Somehow, they've just erased him from existence. Then how come we still remember him? Remember who? I don't remember. (laughs) Hey, birds! Don't do this to me! You can't forget me! I'm unforgettable! I'm forgettable. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I've got it. Okay. I say fight, Mr. Rimmer. Better dead than smeg. Yeah! Favorite ever. Yeah, when he said that, I was like, oh, yeah. That was a great moment. (laughs) I believe it. And again, yeah. Say again? I believe it's known as taking a level in badass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, the, to be fair, I wasn't quite sure what side Rimmer was going to come down on because he does idolize those who have power, sometimes amorally so. Mm. But that seeing himself in that position, apparently he couldn't uh, couldn't handle it, and I like that. Uh, let's see. I will go have another one here with. That's why, Mister Crichton, sir, you call those triangular sandwiches? Did you use a Z square? I think not. And the chocolate fingers display is laughable. Don't just pile them higgledy-piggledy onto the plate. Make them into an attractive interlaced log cabin structure or something. This will just not do. Kindly return to the gallery and start again. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was a uh, set square. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I see. We we don't use Z and we don't use oh, H. Oh, but it was set uh, set square. Oh, is it set? Yeah. S-E-T. Oh. <gasps> There's a mistake in the script that I'm copying from. <laughs> Your secret's <What>? out. <laughs> no. Yes, that's right. I don't memorize the episodes <laughs> word by word as I watch them. <sighs> set. Square. Write that down. <laughs> I got it. Right here. Underline it with a set square. <laughs> <laughs> There's no H in it either. Gah. <laughs> Uh, more quotes? Yep. I'm fresh out. Crichton, there may be a what? A way out of this? Is that what you were going to say? Speak, Crichton. How can we change what's happening? 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's almost Dickensian. Yeah. I so, did. Yeah, I'm glad that I we... did cry when I first watched yeah. it, but in my defense, I was seven. Well, there you go. Nothing <laughs> wrong with crying as an adult. <laughs> oh no, I cry at TV and films all the time. Oh, me too. Oh, when we were watching Toy Story three in the theater. Oh God! Surrounded by children, I was bawling my eyes out. I'm sure some six year olds were looking at me like, "What's wrong with you?" <laughs> Forget Toy Story three. When I was watching the Paper Man short before. Oh, yeah. oh my! But you know what? Though, in fairness. It had uh, a Christoph Beck soundtrack, and I have been pre-programmed to emotionally respond to Christoph Beck music through years of watching Buffy. So, there you go. If you have not seen the Paper Man short, see the Paper Man short. It was amazing. And it's probably where all animation should be going in the next decade, because it is gorgeous. Um, I cried at MasterChef today. You know what, though, this... Sorry. Were they chopping the onions? <laughs> it was the final. They were kicking someone out. It was really intense. <laughs> sorry. Master Chef has lost. Sorry, Master Chef has lost something when they stopped using Louis Grossman. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. Uh oh, drama. Yeah, got it. Sure, gas. <laughs> Um, well you know what this episode for as much as I loved it it's one of the to me it wasn't nearly as quotable Mm -hmm. as a lot of other episodes I guess I mean it it had lots of humor but it wasn't like just constant constant verbal humor or constant gotcha one liners it was a little more I think set up and situation humor yeah it's definitely plot based and definitely the first time you're watching it because the plot is so integral and so important then that's what you're watching for and you know mm. the, the quotes don't sink into your head in the same way they do when they're the, the sassy one-liners in the cockpit um, but yeah. it is one of those episodes where the more you watch it uh, loads of quotes from, from this episode in particular sort of stepped into everyday language for me and my friends of just you know, adapting quotes and adding them to the normal <laughs> lexicon this episode has more than most okay yeah it's so weird how that happens with fandom and I, I love it and you can like not know somebody's a fan and then identify them when they use the wrong phrase yeah. you know um, I, I worked with a girl at a newspaper and in one of her columns she uh, inexplicably had um, the phrase uh, hello salty goodness and I was like, wait a minute, you're a Buffy fan. I recognize that Whedon dialogue. <laughs> sure enough, and we we actually became great friends after that. Uh, so I'm glad to know that that happens with Red Dwarf too. Mm. What are some of the, like, uh, so, you know, you got your Firefly fans with the shiny, and you got, you know, so what are some of the, well, I guess, Smeg. Yeah, it, it's Smeg and goalpost head I suppose and, and things like that and it, <laughs> just insults that come in but it tends to goit. be just strange phrases yeah <laughs> goit oh yeah goit yeah. is that an example or we just no I was just I talking? was just talking to you <laughs> 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 
Yeah, yeah, better dead than smeg, and, and you know words to that effect. Better X than Y seem to. Actually, from this episode, on Ganymede and Titan, over the course of the years we've been doing it, we've had we must have had about six or seven different articles or news updates that start with an adaptation of the morale scene. Uh, which starts off with, well, as we all know, things have gotten a little tense of here around late. So if there's been an argument in the forum, or if we haven't put any updates out for a while, it always starts off with that. Nice. Oh. Well, uh, any more quotes before we move on? No, I'm out. Yeah, better not. Cool. All right. Well, uh, you know what? This has been a really fun season for me, uh, and a really fun episode. And I hate uh, it's going to be a little while before we get back to you with uh, Season 7, Episode 1, uh, the Tika to Ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yep. It's going to be four I'm just gonna go ahead years. And say, <laughs> I have absolutely no idea what that could be about. Do you know, so. do you know what Tika is? No. Um, now, I'm familiar with tiki. tiki, as in, like, Tiki lamp. But, uh, <laughs> tika, Tika, no. T-I-K-K-A, it's a method of cooking chicken, um, usually in oh, Indian food. Tikka. Tikka masala. Yeah. Oh, exactly. tikka masala. Yeah. Okay. So I, it's a curry okay. reference, I didn't... basically. I see, I see. Oh, so maybe it's another curry monster. <laughs> Revenge of the curry monsters. Started, yeah. We've only started eating Indian food in the past year. Yeah, Auburn just got a really nice, well, I assume it's really nice, I've had limited experience with Indian food, but we love it, a really good Indian restaurant, and, and we love the place. Um, but again, as you might expect, um, Indian food in general, not really as common in the U.S., and especially in the South, as, as it would be um, in, in the U.K., uh, which had a lot closer relations with India uh, for many years. So. And a lot of what a lot of what's um, identified with Indian food is invented in Britain by yeah. uh, Indian oh. immigrants who are sort of adapting the traditional you know, street food to a British audience not audience yeah. but you know what yeah. I mean and so sort of like Chinese that, that had, yeah. yeah the t- tikka masala was invented as a way of making it more palatable to Brits by mixing it with tomato and making it more of a sauce thing rather than ah. rather than the dry chicken so there you go cool yeah, there's actually a Chinese restaurant here that has, like, the usual Americanized Chinese menu, you know, your beef broccoli and your Szechuan shrimp and whatnot. But then they have this other menu that's written completely in Chinese, and we see people order off of it, and they get these really intricate, in- interesting-looking traditional Chinese dishes. No idea what they are. Yeah, never seen you're them. You're not allowed. So, You've got to learn yeah. the language first. We sort yeah. of want to go in there and ask the woman, you know... It's like, we don't know what any of this is, but something good off of this, because it looks awesome. Um, so, yeah. Okay, well, um, again, anyway. once again, thank you. Yes. Uh, Before we go. Anyway, sorry. back to being back to Red Dwarf. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Before we go, and if I've mentioned this before, Rosie can edit this yeah. bit out. <laughs> but I wanted to close this season with, with something that, going back to what we've what I mentioned in our very in our first show of season six, I mentioned in the very first show that basically they BBC wanted to get the Red Dwarf as soon as possible, and they said we want it by a due date. If not, that you're not getting into the series. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. yeah. 
ironically, the BBC decided to delay it by six months before they actually put that out on air. <laughs> so they rushed filming and then had to wait for it to air? Yeah. By, six, by about six, seven months, yeah. That's awesome. And this process caused um, the script of Sirens to be released before the episode was, because there was a tie-in script book of the best of the, you know, of the previous few series, six of the best scripts, and they released that in the summer, intending that to be after series six had aired. Series six got put back, and so the first episode was released in book form as a script before it was ever shown on TV. Wow. That was pretty stupid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, luckily, no uh, network in America has ever made a boneheaded decision about an awesome show. Firefly! No, um, Bring it in Firefly so, references yeah. when Paul's not here. Good. There you go. You gotta, yeah. gotta stack them well, in. Can, can I just yep. say, although <laughs> I don't like Firefly. <laughs> Hey, you know what, Paul? No, no, Paul. Seriously, he gave Firefly a show. He actually watched a few episodes. wasn't his thing. I, I respect that. Now, when people like don't even watch something and then yeah. say that they don't like it or, or assume that Harry Potter is a devil worshippers uh, manual uh, without ever having cracked a book, uh, that peeves me a little bit. But um, no, you know what? If it's not your thing, it's not your thing. So I, I mean, I don't, I don't bug Paul about that nowadays. I know exactly. I know exactly what you mean. It really. Sorry, we've, I've got. We've got an election coming up this coming Thursday, and people. I want to get people out and voting. Basically, mm. I just want people to go to the polling station. It takes all of five minutes, and it really annoys me that people do not go out and vote. But a couple of weeks later, they want to complain about this, that, and everything. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't vote, then you've got no right to complain about whoever gets elected. Exactly. Exactly. Although the counter to that is, um, if you don't vote, the, or if if you do vote somebody in, then you don't have the right to complain yeah. about them. Yeah. <laughs> well, that depends what they do. For example, I voted um, Liberal Democrat at the last general election, and then they went and sided with the Conservative Party, so I won't be doing that again. But let's mm. not get into that with me and Shane. Yeah. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> Hey, happens here too. Um, the the whole no child left behind yeah. uh, education reform that came in under W. Bush is, I think, one of the the poorest run, and, and, and it is in no way reflects any conservative ideal. Uh, let's have federal control over what tests go into the classroom. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, yeah. Sometimes the parties do things that you don't think that they will. Yeah. Anyway, back to back to getting back to Red Dwarf. Um, again but no uh, thank you all for listening and sticking with us it's been a great season hope to have another one soon you know after a bit of a hiatus here give us some time to get uh, uh, to get a little bit of rest and we've been working so hard and uh, and we're just going to need to take a little time off but you know we'll be back uh, for season 7 I I don't think it'll take 4 years and uh (laughs) <laughs> Rosie and Ian, thank you both for stopping by. It has been a hoot. You're welcome. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing you come back in a few weeks or months' time. Weeks. Yeah. Uh, prob- <laughs> yeah, probably more. It probably won't be months. Oh, good. Maybe, maybe eight, maybe a month, and maybe yeah. a little after that. But no, it, it won't be months. Good. Um, I will come to America and kick your butt. 
<laughs> well, there hey, you anything go. that can get you over to America. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. You, you just said America. Um, yeah, the the British pronunciation of uh, when a word ends in an, in an A sound, changing it to basically an ER sound. Uh, I got a hoot out of Crichton talking about, um, oh, what was it? I forget. That he ended. Uh, not not black holes, something. Oh, he said something and it was it struck me as particularly funny. So supernovas. Yes. When I heard supernova, I was like, "Huh, that's weird." Crichton usually doesn't Super, do that. What, what do you mean? Uh, Super supernova. Supernova. <laughs> yeah, that that would be the way I'm used to hearing it. So, su- supernova. Supernova. Uh, almost like a UH is is the way that Americans typically end words and end in A, but the the proper British pronunciation. Can you do um, that? It switches to sort of that ER sound, so supernova. And, and now the British one? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having that fun. That was the British one. <laughs> so so I, I, would, I would say, I would say su- su- supernova, and, now... and Crichton said supernova. Okay, now, now, now do it in a British accent. Like almost, <laughs> really? <laughs> like, like, like the dog rolls. Supernova. Supernova. <laughs> Wingardium Leviosa. Not Leviosa. Leviosa. Supernova or super supernova, and then supernova. Ah and er. Anyway, it doesn't. Wow, you don't hear it. That's really weird. It doesn't matter in the least. It just struck my ear as funny, and I meant for it to be a passing comment, and it's become a five-minute discussion now. Anyway, back to saying goodbye. <laughs> goodbye, everybody. And we will be back and actually talk about Red Dwarf. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast is over. Or over. Over. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>